Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is William Kilmer, the managing partner at C5 Capital. William, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Miguel. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Likewise, uh, we have been in touch for a very long time. Uh, you are also a, a very good friend and uh, an amazing, uh, um, you have an amazing career and uh, we really admire your work. So congratulations for everything that you've been doing. And Thank it's you. a pleasure to have you on the show. So, I but oh, I was just going to say, I appreciate it. And, uh, and by the way, I have a hard time calling you Mike because you are, you will always be Miguel to me. As a <laughs> That's fine. Both names are, uh, are mine. So you, you, you are free to, to keep calling me Miguel. So, and get, let's get to know more about yourself, Will, and for the, for the audience. So um, can you let us know a little bit more about your career background and how did you join C5 Capital and what does C5 Capital? Sure, absolutely. So I'll start with, uh, I'll start with the end in mind and uh, you know, talk a little bit about what I do right now. So I'm a managing partner with a venture capital fund called C5 Capital. Uh, we're based in the US and the UK and our focus is on investing in what we call the secure data ecosystem, which is essentially looking at cybersecurity, a cloud infrastructure, mainly around storage and data management and also uh, applied data, uh, data analytics. So we look at machine learning and AI and how it applies to uh, solving specific problems. Uh, we're on uh, fund number two, and uh, we've already made about seven investments uh, out of this fund, and we'll continue to do so. And we invest in uh, the US, UK, Europe, and, uh, and to some extent also in Israel. Um, and you know what we do is really try to invest in, and add value to the companies that we're, we're uh, investing in. Um, my background uh, before that, I've been the CEO of a couple of companies uh, directly, uh, either in the data analytics or cybersecurity space, uh, which is where I've spent a lot of my time. I've been an operating partner with another investment fund, uh, you know, previously and, and consulted with a number of other uh, technology startups. And um, before that, I was actually a managing partner at Intel Capital, or uh, I ran uh, as the managing director, uh, the European investment arm of Intel for a number of years. And so, and, and I had a startup before that, that uh, we were acquired by Intel. So I've sort of been uh, investor, worked with startups as a founder, and had some experience uh, working with a, a large technology company uh, throughout my career. So it's been a little balanced and, and uh, frankly, a little scattered at times. That's a, an amazing profile. So as you know, in the, on the show, we, we cover a lot the, the, the scaling up stage from 1 million to 100 million, especially for B2B SaaS uh, enterprise companies. And we've been covering in the last shows, not only the 100 million to 1B in terms of IPO with companies as Box and, and Slack, but also from 1B to 1 tree with uh, large companies as BASF. Um, we also had uh, Worth, Fujifilm on, on the show, uh, Schneider Electric, etc., and uh, and investors uh, that are uh, working with 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 the scale up. So you have covered all those segments, and we can almost discuss today. We will focus uh, much more on on your investor and operator um, side. Um, so how, how do you, and, and of course we are living uh, at this moment and we're recording this podcast. Now it's very relevant to say when we are recording, it's uh, the 10th of April of 
of 2020, uh, and we are living a pandemic crisis uh, across the world, and uh, we all need to adjust to the new um, situation. Uh, it's times of threats and also times of uh, opportunity. Uh, how do you see your industry and uh, your portfolio uh, going through uh, the crisis? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and I think you know for a lot of us, there's just a lot of uncertainty today that we're trying to you know first get our arms around um, and understand. And I think you know for many of us, we'll still be doing that for some months as we you know understand current situation and we understand how we're going to transition back to whatever the new normal will be uh, whenever we reach that. But you know for us, we've spent the first month or so. Uh, you know, I guess thinking about what our own priorities are as a as a venture fund, and you know, what we think we need to to focus on directly, and we actually came up with a list of priorities. Um, and I think you know this is a good guideline for us is that every time we talk about something that we're doing right now, we go back and say, does it fit one of those five priorities that we had uh, as an organization? And if not, we need to set that aside. Um, one of those has been focusing on what we look at as our portfolio resiliency, you know, looking at the companies that we've already invested in. And, you know, obviously we have a belief in those companies we had before uh, COVID-19. And so we want to make sure that they all survive, if not thrive, uh, once we get out of this situation. So, you know, we've spent the better part of a month sitting down with each of them, helping them to think about you know, what are the issues that, that they are facing right now? What are the areas of uncertainty? How do they plan for that? You know, what's their, their budget? Um, you know, what does their budget need to look like to reflect some of the realities? But also importantly, you know, what should they be looking at to make their company more resilient and, you know, prepare themselves for what future opportunities um, there are? And I think, you know, for us, we've, we've sort of set with every, every organization that you know, they should have three areas of focus right now. And that is, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, to realistically assess what, does, what is the company facing in terms of business you know, over the next three, six, nine, 12 months, maybe even longer, and making sure that they can survive that. Um, you know, a lot of the companies that we work with are startups, they require capital. And so the first thing they need to do is just look at that. The second is uh, turning to their people right? The, the most valuable resource they have alongside capital and, you know, making sure that they are focusing on the well-being of their employees, um, that they are focusing on the, on their own well-being as leaders and that they are making a significant investment um, in the leadership and in the employee base of the organization to make sure everybody's doing well and has what they need in order to, to thrive. And for those that you know, maybe running into difficulties and, you know, people will run into difficulties, maybe health, financial difficulties, emotional or mental, uh, you know, issues that they, that they run into, um, you know, making sure that they're, they're providing the resources and the support to help those individuals. And then the last that we look at is, you know, how do they look at the landscape of what's happening and it's shifting um, so that they can take advantage of opportunities. And those might be, longer term opportunities uh, today that, you know, that they see that they can take advantage of that may change the structure or the way that their industry, you know, or market works. But even just looking at the short term of how do they, how do they take advantage of the opportunity, so to speak, of helping their customers? Um, you know, a lot of times we come into this, I think a lot of people come into 
this crisis thinking about, you know, how do I maintain my sales? How do I hit the numbers that I had before? And it's an opportunity though, for us to step back and say, what are the actual needs of my customer, you know, or my potential customer? Can I really knock on their door and ask them to, you know, to close a sale? Or is there a way that I can actually add value to them that, you know, maybe it's deferring a sale, uh, you know, that would happen, but it's actually strengthening them in some way, showing them that we can add value and building a longer term relationship. So, you know, I think to me, those three priorities around, you know, just operational resiliency, the people and making sure that you're watching out for your people and that you're looking for those opportunities, both short term and longer term. Uh, to shore up your organization are, are critical elements. And that, that's what we've spent a lot of our time helping our companies to understand. It's a, a very good point. And um, uh, there are companies that are thriving during this crisis, and we are seeing massive adoption of uh, online ways of collaborating. We are seeing Zoom and Slack uh, growing uh, like, like, like never before. So we, we just need to remember that Zoom has kind of added off IPO with 150 million in revenue, and now it's around 60 and 600 million. And very closely, we'll get to uh, one being revenue, which is an amazing uh, growth rate at uh, post IPO, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we we were also discussing telco uh, t- telecommunications organizations are also thriving during this period. Another ones, retail, travel, airlines, might be suffering uh, much more. So it it also depends. It might need to have a pivot uh, across those scale ups um, to focus more uh, on verticals that, or to double down on verticals that might be thriving and uh, reducing or mitigating the risk of exposure to to the verticals that might be suffering the most in in the upcoming uh, months. Not to talk about collections uh, that that might be uh, that might not be um, collected or uh, that might be delayed uh, in terms of collection. So, where do you see the big uh, opportunities in terms of industries, and do you see your clients moving their targets to to verticals that might be uh, better in better shape? Right. You know, I I think a lot of a lot of the companies that we invest in, uh, first of all. You know, we're very fortunate to be in a, in a market, in, particularly in the cybersecurity market, where we spend most of our time. Uh, most of those companies, I think, will do fairly well during this time. There's a, you know, there's a need out there uh, for organizations to protect themselves, and I don't think that's going to change. Um, nevertheless, you know, we are going to see some budgets shift, and I think organizations need to recognize that you know, while they may have been, you know, they may have been within that that budget that existed a month ago or two months ago, uh, that may shift even within the cybersecurity space to things that are more of a priority. Uh, For example, we're seeing a lot more direct attacks on companies uh, with hackers who are trying to take advantage of the uncertainty and the concern around Mm -hmm. COVID-19, where the attacks are happening that are different or maybe more frequently in a certain area that may cause an organization to shift, you know, their priorities or their budget. So, you know, even within a thriving industry, we're going to see, you know, some changes overall. Uh, Clearly, you know, what we've seen across the board is that, you know, technology is playing a major role um, in the shift of employees right now. Um, You know, we have more home workers. We have more people using cloud-based applications, uh, more cloud storage, you know, is occurring. 
Um, as you mentioned, you know, an increased need for for telecom services in a distributed nature versus you know in a in a single office. Those are all going to not only shift but probably increase those market opportunities. Um, I saw a status the other day that you know the increase of cloud storage has gone up 255 percent. Uh, you know, over the last last month wow. or two, um, I think we're going to continue to see that. Um, along with that, we're going to see things like you know what we call shadow IT, where People use their own credit card and decide, well, I'm going to buy a Zoom account or I'm going to use this application to share information or to plan. Um, so, you know, those things are going to have to be managed a little bit inside of a company. They'll spend more to do that. Um, I've heard some, you know, some instances with companies that we're looking at where budgets are actually moving up. Uh, we talked to a company that's selling to a, a major bank, somebody that would take, you know, nine or 12 months to make a decision on a particular product. But because they need it, they've said we're going to do this in four weeks. Right? We're going to we're going to accelerate. So that's you know terrific to see those. I think you know clearly we're going to see you know shifts in other areas of the market. Um, you know, you and I were talking about earlier uh, the shifts in the retail market, and you know the fact that we're really reaching this digital divide. Um, it's it's amazing to me today to think that with all of the things that we tend to buy online. You know, on, online e-commerce sales are still about 12% of all retail sales. Um, mm -hmm. That means there's 88% that's still being, you know, purchased and delivered out of a store somewhere, out of a physical, you know, location. I think we're reaching a digital divide where organizations need to learn how to accommodate that. Some are doing it, you know, very, very quickly. Others, you know, may may delay and they may not, they may not make that divide or that, that cutoff. So, and then, you know, I think we're going to see more replacement for things, um, you know, certainly the, the airline industry and the travel. Um, I used to travel almost every single week. Um, I'm now have been four weeks working at home and, you know, have used a lot more of my Zoom account than I did previously. So, you know, we'll probably expect things to change. I mean, I, I don't see myself going back to traveling every single week uh, after this because I think there's a lot more that I've learned how to do over video conference. So, you know, as you mentioned, while Zoom goes up, we'll probably see some of the airline, you know, travel go down, uh, for example. And obviously some of it will, you know, go back to some level of normal, but, I, you know, I think we'll see some significant changes. Um, you know, I, where we'll be in terms of other, you know, lesser tech industries, I think we'll certainly be, uh, you know, we'll certainly see some changes there over time as well. But I think we're going to be catering to you know, a, a customer base that is going to be a little bit more home centric and centered um, will probably travel a little bit less and probably expect more, you know, services and more, uh, you know, things being brought to them or delivered to them directly versus, you know, spending more time out. Um, and I think those, those habits, you know, while they, while it oftentimes takes time for those to change, a big shock like this could really cause, you know, a lot of those to change quickly and to stay that way. It's it's interesting because parts of uh, the scale up and and uh, venture capital industry, it's all about um, understanding and anticipating and finding the right timing to leverage those huge disruptions. So this is a time of a huge disruption that might be accelerate, accelerating dramatically the adoption of some solutions that might only take in five or 10 years, but because things are changing so fast, uh, maybe that the right timing is now. We were discussing before, and you just talked about also uh, the cloud star storage stats, but also cybersecurity. 
there are there are no large incumbents nowadays. And definitely, as you said, in terms of trends and what might be happening, this would be a, a huge industry in in the upcoming years. And this crisis might be accelerating uh, the the growth of that industry. And usually, investors and and, and entrepreneurs are looking to those opportunities to build large uh, companies that can become the income, the new incumbents of the industry or be acquired by the current incumbents that in this industry, as, as you were explaining me, uh, they don't uh, happen. Can you just share a little bit more about that with, with the audience? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe to, to, to start that uh, and to link back to our earlier conversation, you know, it's interesting that almost everything we talked about um, you know, is a is an acceleration of a trend that already existed. And exactly. I'm, I'm writing a blog post on, you know, on understanding uncertainty. And one of the things I start with is look at the trends that already exist out in the marketplace, and you're probably seeing a lot of them accelerate. You know, when we talk about e-commerce, people working from home, uh, being able to do mm-hmm. more, you know, video conferencing, um, more delivery of, you know, services. I mean, you know, customization of services, those are all things that are happening already that are probably going to accelerate or that are accelerating during this time. So it should be no surprise, you know, that that they exist and that we'll see more of it, you know, at the other side of this pandemic. Um, but that certainly is the case, you know, as it impacts cybersecurity companies. Um, you know, it's an interesting market to be in. And I, I've been in it long enough to see several cycles of this. But when we, you know, we started in this market, it was a high growth with a couple of very large companies. If you look back even 10 years ago, there were probably four companies that, you know, you could really say were lar- the largest of the large cybersecurity vendors. And they would be Symantec, McAfee, Cisco, and Juniper, right? And Juniper, you know, basically focused on networking security. And there were a lot of other, you know, smaller companies like Checkpoint and others that were out there. Today, that's almost completely gone. I mean, Cisco is Cisco is a large vendor who still sells cybersecurity, um, but they're more of the prototype of today's uh, model, which is there are either pure play cybersecurity companies that tend to be much smaller. They're the FireEyes, the Palo Altos, um, you know, that are out in the market today. Now, you know, we're seeing CrowdStrike and and uh, you know Okta. Um, uh, Zscaler and others that are kind of the small, you know, they're a billion dollars, maybe $5 billion company. And then you're seeing companies like Cisco, Microsoft, Apple, Google, they've all learned to build security into their products. But the reality is, you know, this is a very, very cyclical market in terms of innovation. And, you know, today's incumbents, what we can say almost without, without a doubt is today's incumbents will not be tomorrow's incumbents. Uh, you know, there's a, I think there's very much a focus in this industry that as you solve a problem, you scale. And as you scale and you increasingly are dealing with a, uh, a customer base that is relying on you, you focus more and more on being able to solve that problem better for them. And what happens is a new set of problems come up. You're generally not looking at it or you're not able to spend the resources on it. And so somebody else comes along, a, uh, an aspiring you know, founder, entrepreneur, they go build that solution, they solve the problem, start to grow, and either they get acquired or you know, they grow big enough, like a, you know, like a Zscaler, et cetera, uh, where you know, they go public with, with, you know, based on their new solution. Then they get big and the cycle starts all over again. And I think it's very much that case in the market. 
it's it's to me not so much that the big company can't figure out how to solve the problem. Um, it's just that they don't put all the resources into it and they don't have the incentive to do it versus continuing to, to solve the existing problems that are out there. And I'll, I'll give you a great example. I met with one of the large, former large security mm -hmm. companies a number of years ago, and they wanted some help in, in terms of looking at innovating and how they developed new, new products and new capabilities. And I was working with an organization we were looking to partner with them and we came up with a list of things that, you know, we could cooperate with them on. Almost without, uh, without an exception, we went through that list and, you know, we said, well, have you thought about this? Yep, we have a, you know, we have a team working on that. Do you have this? Yep, we have a team working on that. And we asked them, well, why aren't you accelerating this? Why aren't you taking this out of the market? And they said, well, we have the technology. We just don't see that the market's large enough for us to go after. So we're not really putting as much resources into it versus mm -hmm. what we're doing with our core business. Well, if you went back through that list, you'd see, you know, each one of those areas, there's a successful company today that is, you know, probably a hundred million dollars or more in revenue, but it's not inside that large organization because they didn't follow the opportunity when it was uneconomical. And so it was too late for them to actually do it when it was economical for them. Amazing. We, we always discuss on the show the what we consider the three critical ingredients to scale, and we keep uh, iterating on them uh, as we bring amazing guests like you to, to the show. So number one, radical focus. Number two, uh, world-class leadership. And number three, a culture of execution. And those are even import, more important during uh, wartime. In terms of defining the critical priorities and being laser focused, you already discussed it, something that you have recommended to your own portfolio. So kind of cash is king, uh, take care of your people and uh, be aware of the shift of your strategy as the landscape is also shifting to leverage those um, opportunities. So I think that radical focus is um, almost covered. Uh, let's go for uh, world-class uh, leadership. So uh, what needs to be done in during peacetime and wartime uh, and even shifting the mindset from peacetime to wartime might be uh, difficult for some leaders. So, and usually entrepreneurs are, um, are good allies of uh, wartimes because even when it is peacetime out there uh, in their companies, they are, start, they are starting up or even scaling up. And usually uh, we all know that one quarter uh, seems uh, one or two years uh, in, a, in a normal company. So mm -hmm. how do we do the shift to navigate during wartime and peacetimes with, with our teams and those leaders? Yeah, you know, I, I think the analogy of, you know, wartime versus peacetime is is very telling um, because, it, you know, it really does feel like almost like you're out there working and, you know, bombs are exploding and <laughs> are distracting you. Um, and it's very difficult to maintain leadership. I, I think for those of us who've never, you know, served in the military or been in war, maybe the best analogy is uh, sports. You know, you can practice sports all you want, but then when you're out on the field, maybe playing, right. you know, football, uh, you know, if you're, if you're playing football or soccer or you're playing basketball, something that, you know, is very fast paced, uh, it's hard to take it all in and, you know, and be able to think while you're actually doing. And so, you know, I think for leaders right now, um, a lot of it is just being able to stay focused on what's important. It's, you know, it's having those priorities, going back to those and reminding yourself of them, um, doing the best that you can to replicate 
you know, especially now in a more remote environment, how you normally do your business um, and doing that in a virtual way um, in order to support the culture and the level of execution that you need um, as an organization. I, I think this is a very tiring time. Uh, when I talk to people right now, they talk about working extra hours, the fact that they don't have a commute to work or a commute home. They don't have time to decompress. A lot of times, you know, it's difficult to say when your day starts and when it ends. Um, but, you know, I think it's I think it's difficult for people to do that. So, you know, one of the things that I recommend is setting aside time as an organization to be able to think, uh, to be able to um, kick around and talk about new ideas, um, you know, be a little bit more creative and, you know, even building that into your schedule. Um, so, for example, you know, for us, we have a we used to have a Friday morning meeting where we would get together in the office sit down and just had no agenda whatsoever um, so that we could talk about whatever was a concern, um, you know, a dumb idea, uh, you know, whatever it was that we wanted to bring up. And we've continued to do that by video. So, you know, we get on every, every Friday morning at nine o'clock, we kick around ideas and talk about, you know, what's, what's important to us right now. It's a much more informal meeting, but it sort of preserves that culture of the organization to say, we need to take a step back and look at the, the big picture and really try to understand what's happening and, and uh, you know, be able to adapt to that. And I think, you know, that's, that's important. To me, I always say, you know, a, a good leader is also a good writer. It's someone who can sit down and write things out and collect their thoughts in a way that they can analyze them and understand their, their current situation. Because, you know, more than ever, I think we need to, uh, you know, make a move stop and reorient ourselves, decide where we are, you know, look at what, what should we be doing next? And it just takes more, more effort and more, more focus to be able to do that in this type of an environment where so many things, you know, may be going wrong. That's a, that's an amazing one. And uh, that's why it's easy to get distracted during wartime because there are a lot of threats and usually our emotions are also playing with us, right? The fears are getting outside and we we, we tend to run uh, to solve those fears and maybe we are not looking for the opportunity uh, and we miss those um, opportunities. And uh, even more important, uh, our teams are our mirror. And uh, if we are scared or afraid of, of something, we they will also uh, become uh, have the same kind of feelings. Um, your second point and your second recommendation is really to be aware that uh, your people are your most uh, valuable resource. And I know that you are very passionate and, uh, and we all know that during wartime or during uh, the game time, as you were saying, in terms of the analogy with sports, uh, it's when we, we face the obstacles and as teams, we are able to go through those challenges and get stronger. So what are some of your tips to, to keep building the culture in the remote or working from home environment? Yeah, you know, it's, it's difficult, I think, especially for organizations who are used to being together physically so much. Um, you know, but I, I think it can be done. And I think the, you know, there are lots of examples of companies who have worked virtually for a long time and built their cultures naturally, um, you know, even though that they've been virtual, that indicate that it, that it can be done and it should be done. Um, you know, to me, I mean, the first, the first part is just to recognize across the team 
uh, and especially the leadership of the organization about how important culture is. And I think you've got to go back to look at, you know, what are the va- what's the value of culture? Why is that important to us? And you know, to me, I think that there are there are three areas, uh, you know, that make culture so so valuable. Uh, you know, number one is culture is important because it helps you in, in execution, right? It drives engagement in the company, makes people feel like they're, they are there and they're involved and that they can have an impact. Two is it differentiates you as an organization. Um, we know, you know, when people go in and ask about what's the culture like in an organization, they're really looking for, do I fit? Does this make sense for me? Am I going to enjoy it or thrive here? And I think, you know, if you look at organizations like, uh, you know, Zappos or Netflix, uh, organizations that have really emphasized culture, it's a huge differentiator that they have so many people that want to work there because they they understand the culture and they buy into it. And then the third, I think, is that, uh, you know, culture helps in organizations uh, being able to adapt uh, and be resilient over time, right? You know, we always hear the phrase that, that's been attributed to Peter Drucker that, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, hmm. um, you know, meaning that you know, you're, no matter what your strategy is, if your culture isn't working right, you, you're never going to execute. I think I think it could be the opposite. I think that culture can feed strategy, and that if you create the kind of dynamic, open environment where people are able to assess what they're doing, you know, openly talk about what's working, what's not working, and look at adapting, you can actually create a much more flexible and dynamic strategy over time that will work. I mean, you, you know, you take an example of a company like Netflix that has gone from, you know, DVD distribution to uh, online, uh, you know, online streaming of movies to essentially being their own content provider. They've done it because they've had a flexible strategy that has allowed them to adapt when the market conditions change. So I think if you recognize how important it is, you continue to, to show the team that you're focusing on it. And then you take the essence of what culture is, which is, you know, shared beliefs, practices, shared values. Um, and you keep emphasizing those across your virtual channels as you're communicating and working together. Um, I think that you can you can maintain it and you can continue to, to have it thrive. And I think it takes more work and it takes more uh, sort of overt discussion about how it's working and whether or not it's working across your leadership team and, you know, in the organization. Um, I, I was a, I was an interim CEO in an organization uh, a couple of years ago, and I spent a significant amount of time uh, not only talking about culture inside of the team, but actually uh, going deeper into the organization. So uh, every couple of weeks, we would have a, uh, a lunch meeting where we would bring in a cross section across the entire organization of maybe 10 or so people. And we'd sit down and say, you know, how's the culture? What's working? What's not working? You know, where do you see that we're supporting what we say we're going to do? Where do you see we're not? And how do we change that? And just having that open dialogue with the team about is our culture working for us or not really went a long way. And it, and it provided a lot of feedback that then we could use in order to reinforce, you know, what we thought were the positive elements of culture that we needed to be successful. 
That's uh, an amazing, uh, amazing suggestion for our rhythms chapter of this culture of execution uh, ingredient. Thanks for sharing them, uh, William. You were saying that uh, a leader is a is a good is also a good writer, or a leader is a reader is another um, deviation of of that uh, quote. You also have a book yourself uh, for people who would like to to read more and know more about you. Uh, would you like to quickly talk a little bit more about your book? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. Thanks. Um, so the book is called Transformative. Uh, it is about uh, essentially being able to develop an innovation strategy in your organization. So, um, you know, if you look at why have I written it, it's really oriented around the fact that I've seen, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of organizations who spend a lot of time innovating, but they don't really have uh, a strategic objective or goal with their innovation. You know, and, and essentially, how are they going to transform the markets that they're, that they're working in uh, you know, so that they provide a better customer outcome and a, uh, you know, and a winning, uh, winning culture or a winning uh, strategy for the organization? So the book's not quite out yet. I'm still, uh, still going through some finalization on that. But um, you know, if people want to connect with me on LinkedIn or uh, go to my website at wkilmer.com, uh, then uh, they'll see more information about it. And a lot of the things that I blog on are excerpts from the book. So hopefully those will help as well. That's awesome. And we, we, we came to the last question of the show and uh, one of our favorites. Uh, if you would have the opportunity to meet William uh, at the times of Intel Capital, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Oh, that's a great question. Um, that's a difficult one. <laughs> you know, I think for me, it would probably be uh, be less concerned about what other people think and uh, and carve your own path. Um, you know, to me, you know, especially working in a large organization, you tend to think about you know, the politics, you tend to think about what other people are, are thinking, you know, how are you going to, how are you going to advance in your career? Uh, you know, to me, I'd be more focused on, you know, what is right for me, uh, you know, uh, better expressing my own opinion and not being worried about, uh, about what other people think. Amazing. William, thanks so much for making the time to, to share your experience with the audience and for providing some light on how to leverage the current COVID-19 uh, pandemic crisis. Always a pleasure, Miguel. I love what you guys are doing and, uh, and fully support it and uh, look forward to continuing to, uh, to talk to you. Thanks so much, William. And to our community, thanks for being there. As you see, we keep bringing you the best of the best so you can leverage this huge opportunity uh, or convert this huge threat into a huge opportunity. We keep bringing you the best tools, the best practices, uh, the best frameworks to help you scale from 1 million to 1 trillion. Stay healthy and see you soon. <laughs>